Welcome back to the podcast. A lot of times I get asked questions about sort of substances that sort of ride the cusp between what's natural and unnatural and how to utilize them from you know, really concentrated amino acid compounds to things like beta alanine. Um, but today, you know, really common question I get, and uh, sometimes it's people don't want to hear the answer, and but uh, is, is about caffeine because some people love their caffeinated beverages with mostly coffee, tea, and obviously there's caffeine and chocolate. But people ask me, you know, is this good for me? Uh, is it bad for me? How much should I eat? How much should I drink? Uh, if it comes to the beverages. And, uh, you know, I have pretty good answers to this most of the time, but I thought it's probably a good place to get a little more brushed up on, on where, what the latest research is and uh, what are they finding with, with caffeine in general. And I was surprised to find that you know, caffeine is actually considered a drug. It's a non-regulated drug. I knew it had, you know, a sharp physiological shift in our body that is sort of drug-like. I can remember being in chiropractic uh, school and uh, the uh, pharmacology professor asked us to, you know, define a drug. And uh, someone put their hand up and says, well, I really can't define it, but how about a cheeseburger from McDonald's? And <laughs> he said, uh, let's talk about that, that you aren't wrong about that. And then someone talking, you know, refined sugar and things. So basically his definition was something that changed your physiology quite radically. And then from there, you know, uh, oftentimes man-made. Now caffeine is not man-made. We can concentrate it in a man-made fashion, but it's found, you know, in nature. So is it healthy for us? You know, what exactly is it? So let's start off by looking at, you know, sort of a, a, what it is. You know, like I said, it's naturally occurring. It's a chemical alkaloid uh, from an, a, the alkaloid group. It's a trimethylxanthine, and it's considered a central nervous system stimulant. That's where it gets its drug sort of definition from. It's, a, it's stimulating physiologically. I remember having a discussion with my daughter one time that caffeine is or is not a stimulant. And what it really does is it blocks a pathway. Now, there's a neurotransmitter transmitter called adenosine. And if you have a lot of that in your body, you will filtered. Now, caffeine blocks the ability of that to go into its receptor, giving you that fatigue response. And if you can block adenosine from sitting in that receptor, you won't feel fatigue. So in a sense, you feel stimulated. Um, so it's it's a stimulant by blocking something that would normally make you kind of drowsy and tell you, hey, you should probably go to bed now instead of, you know, uh, finishing this, uh, this paper that is due tomorrow. Um, it's found in 60 different plants. Uh, it's not regulated, although it's a drug, I think I said a minute ago. So it's kind of an interesting compound. It sort of sits in, a, in its own little place. I, I couldn't think of other things. Maybe you guys can um, feel free to write in if you can think of a compound that is that that is drugged, in a sense, a drug, categorized as a drug, but it's not really regulated um, by FDA or anybody else. So, and, you know, probably thank God for that because it's, it's not that powerful and we got enough regulations on everything as it is. The use of caffeine, I thought, was very fascinating. I just assumed it was around a really long time. That coffee, tea, uh, they seem like such old beverages. But when you look at it, you know, it started, it's, the widespread use of coffee, for example, is in the 15th and 16th century. And tea, a little bit older, 14th through the 17th century, it became very popular. And one of the reasons was when you look at getting fresh, clean beverages, up until that point, alcohol was used. Even kids were drinking a fair amount of alcohol because it was a beverage that bacteria, viruses uh, didn't exist very well and because the alcohol content. So it was considered clean. It was better to be drunk than to be, you know, dead. 
and sickened and uh, have parasites and all the other things that go with it. So if you think about the use of alcohol in children and in adults, you know, sort of in a low-grade chronic fashion, that's really not going to bring out the best performance in people. I mean, have people kind of happy, but you're not going to really get the best of human beings if they're moderately sedated um, with the use of a central nervous and depressant like alcohol. So when they started boiling water to make tea, they actually killed a lot of bacteria and viruses, obviously, and it became a clean beverage. So it became more and more popular. If you add that to the fact that it has a stimulatory effect and it actually speeds up the brain-body connection, what you're having is a more alert, higher-performing person. Now, does that make you more intelligent? Turns out, no, but you get things done faster, which is certainly a great thing because you're able to come up with an answer faster or come up with a solution a little quicker because you don't have that, uh, you know, that neurotransmitter telling you, hey, you're tired. And um, that, that actually may have propelled, I listened to a speaker on a Joe Rogan podcast, and he said that may have propelled the human race in a better direction, simply the fact that it was, there was less alcohol and more of an attention-getting stimulant being used in a somewhat widespread fashion. I thought that was fascinating. Now let's look at amounts because like any drug, the difference between a poison and a medication is dosage, right? Rat poison is simply an anticoagulant, a blood thinner. And um, in small doses, it stops people from clotting in high doses, they bleed to death. As in, you know, a rat eating too much of it and he's done, he or she's done. Average cup of coffee is 94.8 milligrams and it lasts about six to eight hours in the body. The highest amount of caffeine in a coffee was a blonde rose filter, and that was 475 milligrams. Now, there was a lot of debate whether a darker bean or a lighter bean, a blonde roast or a dark roast, had high or low caffeine in it. Um, I always thought and read for a while and believed that the lighter roast, being roasted less, ended up leaving more caffeine behind. So we had a higher stimulatory effect. But it turns out that uh, there's some debate on that. But some of the different beans, you know, the Arabian bean, um, some of them are, have different amounts of caffeine. You can look that stuff up. But um, green tea is 58 milligrams. Black tea is 67 milligrams. And I think that's uh, about 12 ounces. Um, the human tolerance before most people have an adverse reaction to caffeine in a day's worth of consumption is about 400 milligrams. So you look at some of the detriments of caffeine and all the things that it can do, um, up until 400, most people don't get that. Now you could have some mild ones, irritability, that kind of stuff for sure. But, you know, since the Hippocrates, the, you know, considered the father of modern medicine said, you know, let thy food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food. So, you know, I live by that, right? I'm always trying to eat things, uh, ingest things that are medicinal to be as healthy as possible. And that's what I advise um, from patients I know that come in with, you know, muscle spasms and I give them magnesium or they have depression and we give them something that's going to uh, lighten up that kind of thing. Sometimes their thyroid is the problem. It's not really clinical depression as far as uh, an emotional biochemical, you know, a serotonin problem. It's really just uh, the thyroid hormones are so low that a person's just, you know, fatigued, which is a sign of that. So, you know, always looking for the underlying cause of things as well. But when you can use a food or medicinal, obviously, they come out of nature, they're a lot safer. You know, there's always that argument that, you know, you eat the wrong mushroom and you can die. Well, of course, but if you, once you have time tested things and use them in the right dosage, of course, um, 
with some research behind it, you're going to do really well doing that. So if so, if caffeine's a drug, I would have to say, well, isn't it interesting? Does it have side effects with other drugs? So we all know that a couple of drugs put together can be a real problem. So what are the synergistic and you know sort of antagonist reactions with drugs? Turns out there's not that many. Thyroid medication's interesting, right? Because thyroid has a little bit to do with metabolism, but thyroid medication can be disrupted with uh, significant caffeine. Use some antibiotics, some asthma medications, some anti-seizure medications, and some antidepressants. So when I say some, I'm not going to get into specifics. You can look those up. And if you're on those um, type of medications, certainly uh, do some research, talk to your um, your doctor or your pharmacist and say, you know, hey, I'd like to drink about X amount of caffeine per day. Is there a problem with that? It, could that be interacting with any of those following drugs? Always good to know that. Now, let's look a little bit at the pros and cons of caffeine. Now, like we say, it's found in coffee, tea, chocolate. It's in 60 different plants and, and probably in smaller doses. I didn't look the exact up, but it's one of its rationale. One of the reasons it exists is it actually acts to kill off uh, small insects and bugs that would normally be eating the plant. As you may have realized that a lot of the nutrients, the phytonutrients that we get out of our vegetables are the same things that fight off some of the things that eat the plant. So it's the plant's defense. It's kind of interesting that the plant's defense mechanism is a nutrient to us. So it's really not a defense to us. Sometimes it is, right? Poison mushrooms, for example, is a good one. So what are the pros? Well, it's naturally occurring. So when things occur in nature, there's a higher likelihood that they're healthier for you. There's, like we said before, there's exceptions, of course. Um, it improves the performance of pain medication. I did not know that. I learned that when I was putting this together. It improves your focus, right? The brain-body connection. Most people use it that way. It improves fat metabolism. I have heard that. It improves exercise performance. That I can attest to. If I'm not really in the mood, kind of tired, sore from another workout, and really not into it too much, and I kind of don't want to, can't wake up, you know, I'll do some light activity, have a cup of coffee, and it really seems to just, you know, bring you to that place. I use caffeine sparingly because I can get heart palpitations from it personally, which we'll get into. Um, but there's, uh, but in the right amounts, it gives me just a little bit of a wake up, which I know a lot of people exist on. Um, so it decreases death rate by 10 to 15%. So people that drink coffee daily actually die less they live longer, which is fascinating. There's some kind of medicinal property in that that uh, is affecting something to do with longevity. Um, I couldn't find anybody that uh, figured that out. It helps with metabolic syndrome. Maybe that's why. Um, diabetes and heart disease. Uh, metabolic syndrome is what you've seen when someone says you know they have comorbidities. And uh, usually, you know, heart disease and diabetes are massive comorbidities, things that are um, not doing uh, you any favors and will lead to your demise sooner than they should, sooner, sooner than you should if you, if you have those diseases. So it actually helps with those, with diabetes and heart disease, you know, of course, in the right dosage. Um, and it improves mood. People get a little bit of a little peppier and tend to be in a better mood. Now, there's an exception to that. Some people are already kind of in a good mood or, and, or have anxiety and they're really peppy. Well, then some caffeine might push them over the edge and you have kind of obnoxious behavior. So everybody needs to, you know, get an idea of where they sit on that one. Let's look at the cons. Okay. So the things that aren't so great. Well, caffeine is a diuretic, means it pushes water out of your body. When you push water out of the body, one of the things you're going to do is lose minerals. And you know how much I love magnesium. That's going to get pushed out. And other minerals, phosphorus, calcium, manganese, uh, things that you really need. So 
you want to make sure that you're supplementing those minerals anyway and drinking a lot of water to make up for the fact that caffeine is a bit of a diuretic. Now, it increases blood pressure. It increases eye pressure, you know, glaucoma, pressure in the eye. Um, so if you have that condition, you might want to curtail your use of caffeine entirely. Uh, it increases stomach acid. Now, a lot of people have a gastroesophageal reflex disease, or what's acronym for that is GERD, or stomach disturbances, digestive problems. I mean, they're rampant in this country, actually. Some of that we've gone over in the other podcasts is emotional. Some of it is the speed at which we eat. But caffeine increasing stomach acid could cause a problem with digestion and uh, reflux esophageal. So in other words, acid splashing up from the stomach into the esophagus causing you know, uh, pain and uh, disturbances. Emotional irritability. Well, of course, right? If you're kind of already a little bit jacked up and irritated, caffeine isn't always good because it's giving you a little bit more stimulation. You probably need sedation in those moments. Increasing anxiety, very related to that. Causes dizziness in some people, and of course, insomnia. It's stimulant, you might not be sleeping, right? If it's going to uh, disrupt your body in some way, um, you know, you, so you certainly wouldn't want to drink close to bedtime. For most people, I knew people that have a cup of coffee before they go to bed. I'm not sure how that is. Maybe they're drinking so much caffeine they become tolerant of it. That would never work for me because I use it very sparingly. And then I looked up healthy coffees, for example. We all know that there's healthy teas. Green tea is actually alkaline. Black tea is acidic. And most foods you want to ingest that are healthy have an alkaline reaction in your bloodstream. Not to be confused with an acidic food like a lemon. A lemon is acidic to your mouth and it can be used as a cleaning agent. But when you eat lemons, it actually alkalizes your blood. So it's not as simple as it being acidic on the outside, but it's effect on your body. So Green tea alkalizes your bloodstream. Black tea acidifies your bloodstream. So green tea is a lot healthier. Most of us know that. Now, uh, coffee is a little bit of an acidifier. And there are different brands, as you know, that are fuss over the way it's grown. Organic coffees, for example. And coffees mixed with mushrooms. Um, so you get the medicinal effect of mushrooms, as well as coffees that are brewed in specific ways. And I won't get into all the details of that, but I just picked out three healthy coffees, sort of of a different magnitude or a different type. The one company is called Four Sigmatic, F-O-U-R Sigmatic, and that's the mushroom coffee. It has lion's mane and chaga mushrooms in it. Both those mushrooms have massive medicinal properties. So I ordered a bunch of that a while ago. Um, I got four, you know, four sort of bags of it. And it was really tasty. You can kind of taste the mushroom in it. It's not offensive to me. I kind of like the taste. Um, it's like coffee with a mild mushroom flavor. Like you're drinking sort of like mushroom water, which, you know, for some people that might be a problem. I thought it was really good. Um, but yeah, that's an alkalizing solution then. So that coffee actually alkalizes you. Natural Force Clean Coffee is another um, one that's uh, good. That one's organic. And so they actually run lab tests on that one to make sure there isn't mold, heavy metals, mycotoxins, which are the chemicals from mold that bother people. And of course, it's gluten-free, vegan-friendly, and uh, paleo-friendly, right? So um, that that natural force clean coffee is the name of that one. And then I found one because you know I always promote eating in season, and so I never thought that coffee could be seasonal. Um, never got into looking into that way, but it turns out it is. And ground ground coffee, the ground version of Stumptown coffee roasters they have one called heller mountain 
that one is one of the seasonal ones. So you can actually order the coffee by season. So then you're actually eating in season. Like right now it's becoming apple season in the fall. So I think you know, everybody should be eating in season. So we should start eating apples pretty soon because they're available. And we don't know yet, but I would bet a lot of money that apples get you ready for the wintertime in some way. So uh, the seasonal blended coffees are interesting. I have not tried that one. I'm going to actually order that and see if I can you know, taste the difference or see if there's something interesting about eating uh, coffee by season. Okay. So, you know, I hope we learned a lot today about caffeine in, in, in a fast way. Check the drug interactions. Um, look at all the pros. I thought that was pretty interesting. Get your dosage right, because a lot of people think, you know, uh, the more the better. And obviously that's, you know, pretty, uh, pretty lame idea, right? You want to get this thing right because it is considered a drug because it does have an effect on us. Like I say, I get heart palpitations if I drink too much, especially green tea. I don't know, there might be something else in green tea that does that because the caffeine amounts are, are really don't seem to be the exact thing doing it. I can get them from coffee too, but uh, green tea is pretty high and I'm drinking like boatloads of it. And uh, same thing with coffee and green tea affects me quicker than coffee for the same amount of caffeine. Um, so, you know, it's use historically is interesting with the alcohol, replacing alcohol as a beverage. And uh, it's it's so nat it's natural, and uh, I think that's what's great. One of the great things about it, use it sparingly. I probably drink four or five cups of coffee a week. Um, I've used it to take away mild headaches because you know, a lot of my headaches are related to fatigue and stress and not sleeping. And sometimes coffee will do that, and a lot of people know that. But they can also cause headaches. Coffee can cause migraines. I know people that get migraines some coffee and it's interesting because some coffees do have mold in them because of the way they're stored and the way they're transported and you might be getting reaction to the mold not the actual coffee so if you get a coffee that is organic and like this um what is it called natural force clean coffee um that one has the the most research it says they spend some time making sure there isn't mold in it so that would be a good thing all right. So if you enjoyed this, you know, give it a thumbs up, share it with people, share it with your coffee fanatics and people that tell you coffee's horrible. Let's get it right. It's not horrible. It's not the greatest or the worst thing. It's a medicinal and we should uh, use it properly. Hopefully this whets your appetite to read more about it if you want to, or just go out and grab some of that mushroom coffee by Four Sigmatic. I'm not sponsored by them. I just think that's a good coffee and uh, have a great day. Thanks.